Hi everyone, it's Vicki Basilica from the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists, and I'd like you to welcome you to this special episode of Therapeutic Thursdays. Once again, I am excited to share some of the great clinical content that was a part of the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy this highlight and be sure to check back soon for more features. So I'd like to ask you some questions that then I'd like you to give some serious thought to. Should pharmacy transform? Are you super happy with how pharmacy is today? Is there anything that we could do better? If you think we should transform, what do you want to change? What is the future of pharmacy to you? Who can identify our areas of opportunity? Well, obviously that would be our job, but what is it that we should do differently? And how can we improve? Well, if we're gonna improve, it must be done very intentionally. Can we even get better? And of course, the answer to that is yes. Right now, I'd like you to pause and reflect. No, seriously, I'd like for you to take a minute and really think about those questions because your own answers in your own head is really what's going to make value in this presentation. Because if you know where change is necessary, it will bring more meaning to the next few slides. So please take a moment. All right, well, thank you for going through that exercise. And if you need more time, feel free to pause the presentation so you can continue your thinking journey. I've thought about where should pharmacists aim to go? What should our goals be looking out into the horizon? I think we should aim for federal provider status without apologies. We deserve it. And we can help the patients get to where they wanna go once we get that provider status much, easy, much more easily than we can today. We need a welcome seat at every table where therapy decisions are made. A welcome seat from patients, which if all of them knew what we did, that would be easy. We need the laws to support us to make sure that we are there. We need federal policy and state policy to make sure we're at those tables. And every executive team in every healthcare agency needs to want us there. We need standardization for mutual understanding. So every single person knows what a clinical pharmacist does. When you hear nurse and when you hear doctor, there's no question what they do. We need the same level of understanding for pharmacists. We also need that inherent respect and appreciation. And we all together need to push to that next level. But how do we do all these very lofty things? So I'm going to turn it over to Bill Johnson. Like I said, he makes a living at transforming things, and he's going to give us some stories of transformation. But before he does, does that, I'm first gonna talk about the case of nurse practitioners. So back in 1965, Medicare and Medicaid coverage expanded to many, many more patients, to low-income women, children, the elderly, and people with disabilities. And with all these new people now qualifying for coverage, 
in the United States, there was a shortage of physicians. So nurse practitioners began in response to a dearth of those providers, particularly for children in urban and rural areas in the United States. In 1974, so just a minute ago, the American Nurse Association helped legitimize the role of nurse practitioners by establishing the Council of Primary Care Nursing Practitioners, which created an early description of what nurse practitioners do. And then to further standardize those duties, the ANA began offering certification exams for nurse practitioners in 1977. By 1983, there were 23,000 nurse practitioners. They had really grown. But even as they continued to grow, they did not have provider status in the eyes of the government and thus were not eligible for reimbursement. Sound familiar? Nurse practitioner leaders worked with Congress to pass the Omnibus Reconciliation Act of 1989, which created limited reimbursement for nurse practitioners. Many other hospital-based roles at the time suffered during the fiscal crisis in healthcare in the 90s. But as those roles declined, there was a rapid growth of nurse practitioners, over 40,000 in 1995. But even while they grew during that decade, they continued to fight for legitimization of their profession. Finally, in the year 2000, the Balanced Budget Act in 1997 granted nurse practitioners direct reimbursement, and they were legally able to practice in all 50 states. By 2025, it's projected that the profession will have over 244,000 practicing nurse practitioners. Let me just say, if they can do it, we can do it. Hello, everybody. Um, thanks for having me today. Um, glad to be here. I'm going to talk a little bit about a completely different example that Karen just gave about um, transformation. Like she said, I'm Bill. I'm the chief transformation officer for a company called DCP Midstream. We're an energy infrastructure company. Um, fundamentally, at DCP, we build connections to enable better lives. We build uh, pipelines and compressors and equipment that allows natural gas to be safely treated and transported and used to make electricity, to heat your house, to heat your water, um, all kinds of things like that. We're a critical piece of the natural gas um, infrastructure in the United States. Similar um, to the mission that many of you have, we try to make people's lives better and um, improve the quality of life by providing good, reliable, clean energy. Our mission at DCP is to be the safest and the most reliable and of course the lowest cost. And sometimes these things are competing and this is a lot of why we have to transform because there's huge opportunities it's a very competitive and tough business, and we need to get better and operate differently. In our industry, as you can see on this chart, which I've stolen from uh, McKinsey, and this chart is just an illustration of the amount of transformation um, that's happened in different industries. And you can see oil and gas and energy and utilities and chemicals are pretty well on the low end of this chart. Our businesses operate just the same, basically the same as they did 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. 
And if you think about how much everything else in your life has changed over that period of time, those of you that have been alive that long, um, it's quite a bit. The way you travel, the way you communicate, the way you consume media, it's radically um, uh, different. When I was a little kid, you had to get up and go to the TV to change the channel. Um, and uh, now all that stuff is streamed and you can watch it anywhere. Um, everything is um, different about how you interact and how you live your life. So at DCP, we've taken the company from what we call tired to wired. And that's really about wiring together the entire company. And, you know, when I when I talk about this stuff, a lot of times it can seem I'm talking about digital and I'm talking about um, IT and phone systems. I'm not an IT person by background. I ended up um, being responsible for this in our um, company, but it's really about a complete um, transformation. And when I talk about complete transformations going from tired to wired, I often talk about people, process, and technology. And I, I think that's a really important learning is that um, you, you have to attack uh, your transformation on all three fronts. Um, you know, having having really cool, great technology like you have in the rest of your life um, and being able to do more of your job um, digitally or from your phone is all great. But if people aren't ready to absorb those changes or to help drive those changes, and if your processes aren't really tight and really good, um, you're not going to have a very successful transformation. Really cool technology applied to a pretty bad work process gets you a more efficient, pretty bad work process, which is not really what we're trying to do. And so um, we've worked pretty hard on this at DCP and we've achieved some pretty amazing results. And here's a couple of uh, examples of that and uh, maybe a little bit about um, why, why you should um, think about this as an example. On the left side of this page, some of our outcomes, we operate gas plants remotely. So from here in Denver, where we're um, sitting today, we operate gas plants uh, all over the United States. And we, we had built a control center in our office building in Denver. But right now today, those gas plants are being operated from people's houses, which is a pretty amazing thing in our business. You used to have to sit right at the plant um, to, to operate the plant. Now people are sitting in their um, home offices just like this. Um, operating plants in Texas and New Mexico and Oklahoma and Kansas and here in Colorado. Um, you could see some of our other results. We've delivered tons of money to the bottom line of the company. Um, we've created a system that processes about 7 billion data, individual data points per day. Um, we've had huge increases in our um, plant efficiency. And on the right side is a little bit about a recognition that we were just awarded in September of this year. Um, from the World Economic Forum. So this is an international recognition of what we've achieved in DCP. We're one of 54 companies um, recognized um, by the World Economic Forum as what's called a um, lighthouse and a lighthouse in transformation. We're one of only five companies in um, North America. So uh, we're pretty proud of what we've done and, uh, and how we've done it. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the tools we've used and um, what we've learned along the way. So I, I think the biggest learning, and I'm going to say it again just because I think it's so important, 
is having a framework of people, process, and technology. You have to really uh, set a system where you enable and empower people and allow people to improve. And that's going to be a big part of kind of the second half of our um, the talk here. We're going to talk less about process improvements and technology. Those are important parts of a transformation journey. But in my um, view of the world, actually easier um, than, than the people side. So I think it's important to focus on, on people first. And um, that's kind of where we're going to go. So I'm going to talk about what, what we learned as part of that uh, journey. What does it take to transform? Uh, what do you need to do? Um, how do you go about it? What are the key learnings? And here's, here they are from my perspective. First of all, you have to go all in. And Karen talked earlier about kind of um, having passion and understanding where you want to head as a pharmacy community. Um, for us, uh, it's the same. You, you have to have a vision of where you're headed and you have to be all in on that uh, vision. I think if you, um, if you don't really believe in the transformation story, if you don't really believe in the opportunities, um, you're going to you're going to really struggle. So as as I was growing up, I never heard the term emotional intelligence. Um, most people really focused on my intelligence. Um, and any time we talked about my own success in life and advancing my career, not one time did someone say to me, "Hey, if you know how to really harness your emotions, you'll be much more successful." And if I would have known that early in my career. I feel like it would have really helped me um, not only get further in my career, but also develop those relationships along the way that would have um, helped me with networking and, and other things. And so emotional intelligence really is a makeup of five specific skills. So first is social skills. How do you interact with others, either one-on-one -on -one or in a crowd? What's your own personal motivation? What makes you get up every day? What makes you move to the next level or work late at night or try really hard to accomplish something? Do you have empathy? Can you put yourself in someone else's shoes? Can you feel their emotions or understand where they're coming from? Do you have self-regulation? Do you default to the easy emotion right as it's available? Or are you able to pause and regulate what you do based on your emotions? And finally, do you have self-awareness? Do you see yourself as other people see, that, see you? Are you able to understand other people's reactions to you because you understand how you're coming across? It's each of these things that build and make emotional intelligence. Thanks so much for listening into today's episode from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. It's features and content like this that make the ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting the place to learn and to take your practice to the next level. Be sure to join us in December for more great clinical content.